Well, good morning, guys. We're ready to start our third lesson in the new series, The Life You've Always Wanted But Need Spiritual Discipline in Order to Obtain. And today we're going to talk about the practice of slowing down. Remember, the whole point of this series is that you and I are searching for some purposeful activities. That's what we're calling them, the spiritual disciplines that help us create a life that we've always wanted. And today we want to talk about the importance of slowing down. Uh, I've never actually seen the whole movie of Alice in Wonderland. I got scared when she was falling down a hole somewhere. But anyway, the, uh, the Red Queen in uh, Alice in Wonderland is quoted as saying this. She says, Now here you see it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you have to run at least twice as fast. And in our culture, we've taken that to heart. We are running at unbelievable speeds. And one of the practices, one of the spiritual disciplines we need to develop in our heart is the ability to slow down. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus is saying, I want you to come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that's the message for today's lesson. Well, let's talk about what the sickness is first. Well, the sickness is what uh, John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he, he says it's this. It's hurry sickness. Now, hurry is not just a disordered schedule, but hurry is a disordered life or heart. Those are Art Wartburg's words, but I certainly could echo them. It's not just that we have strange schedules and that we are, we are busy or overbooked, but it's behind the overbooking that is the real sickness. It's the hurry and the need to be hurried that's a reflection of our heart. In, uh, in the great Shema of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, and it's repeated by Jesus again in Matthew, Mark, Luke. He says, you are to love the Lord with all of your heart. He goes on with all of your soul and all of your mind and so on. But the first part says, love the Lord with all of your heart. The problem with hurry sickness is, is that we are fractured. We are not loving God with our whole heart. We are, in some ways, exhausting ourselves, and the Bible says we're doing it for nothing. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 13, it says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Like like rats on a wheel, we just keep running. And that very fractured focus that we have in life is, is uh, not the way God intended for us to live. He said to Martha in Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, a lot of things, too many things. I couldn't help but think of a song from uh, probably the 70s, which gives you an idea of how old I am. It was called Feeling Groovy. And if you remember, it goes, um, no need to, uh, well, now I'm not going to be able to get the quote out. But the idea is that 
we are we are fractured we are moving along we're we're distracted our minds and our focus does not allow us allow us to to feel groovy hurry sickness is rampant in our culture now before you go well i don't have really a problem with that let's um let's check some of the the symptoms of of this hurry sickness and you see if some of them don't apply to you the very first one is a sense of being overloaded. And I lean uh, in this section especially to a, a, a book that I highly recommend called Margins by Richard Swenson. If I could only recommend three books that I've read in my entire life, this would be one of them. It was profoundly uh, impactful to me, and hopefully it will be to you. But in his book, he talks a lot about being overloaded overloaded from a sense of activities, you know, so many things that we fill our schedules with. And South County, we would all get a PhD in that one. We do not feel comfortable unless our life is stuffed. And what happens then is because we're stuffed, we're on that treadmill, the activity overload takes away a great deal of the pleasure of both anticipating something and, and what he calls the delight of remembering things. Our kids don't anticipate anything because there are so many things just thrown right at them at all times. When, when we talk about activity overload, we're talking about those things that we squeeze into our lives. And it's not good. He also talks about change overload, that there are so many things that are changing in our lives, almost at warp speed. He talks about choice overload, and this one really fascinates me. He makes a quote there that in 1978, in a, in a normal average supermarket, you, you had a choice of, of just under 12,000 items. But in a supermarket today, your, choice, your choices are going to exceed 25,000 items. And he particularly causes some focus on the cereal aisle and talks about that in a normal day, you can walk in a supermarket and have almost 200 different choices just of breakfast cereal. Choice overload, overload is like sandpaper on our soul. So is debt overload. The average California family is over $30,000 in debt. That causes us to have pain and, dis and distraction and a fractured focus. There's fatigue overload. People are sleeping less and less and less. And that lack of sleep is affecting not only us physically, but emotionally. And all of our relationships suffer. We have, we have uh, information overload. The amount of things that are contained in that little instrument that we all carry around in our pocket is extraordinary. Um, the ability to process that is not there. There's such media overload. We don't have one channel or two channels or three channels. We have hundreds of channels. We have, we have uh, an average of over seven hours a day when our television sets are turned on in our homes. We, we have something like 45,000 new titles of books published every year. There are thousands of, of newspaper sources or newspapers and other sources of news. There's information overload, overload, and it causes us to have a hurry sickness. We're rushing to try to understand. 
there there are there are possession overloads closets are filled storage spaces are used up we can't get our cars in our garages technology is is overwhelming us it's it's recommended not recommended it's suggested that the average person today in their lifetime is going to have to learn over 20 pieces of 20 diff, different pieces of um technology this is an amazing thing or excuse me 20,000 pieces of equipment and then the technology just this last week uh in the circumstances we find ourselves in right now i've i've had to learn how to zoom and how to loom and i don't know the rest of them i mean it's it's overloading it is it is a it is an overload that the that causes that sandpaper on our soul uh, traffic we don't drive on country roads um, apparently Americans drive over two trillion miles a year um, we are overloaded it it is a symptom of of our problem of the hurried sickness we're also sped up. By sped up, I mean we we talk faster than we need to. And when we're carrying on a conversation, if the other party doesn't talk fast enough, fill in the blank, give us the information we need, we're impatient with them. We drive too fast. We walk too fast. We just m- move quickly. When we're estimating uh, going from point A to point B, we don't estimate on the on the basis of the expanse between those two points. We estimate on the basis of time. Uh, we want to we want to shift to um, a quicker, speedier checkout line at at a grocery store, uh, or a faster lane in the on the freeway. <coughs> Excuse me. In uh, Ortberg's uh, book. Um, he talks in one section about uh, Domino's, and Domino's was one of the first to come out with the delivery idea, and they stated that it would take them 30 minutes or less. And the CEO of, of Domino's said, we're not selling pizza, we're selling delivery. Um, people want things evaluated in, in the ba- on the basis of time. There was a hospital that guaranteed that emergency room patients would be seen, would be seen within 20 minutes, and and if they couldn't be seen then the treatment would be free and and uh, that particular uh, hospital saw an increase in their business by over 30% simply because people said okay i can get in i can get out you think about mcdonald's and all of us have our favorites there but it's not really good food uh, or or even cheap food it's fast food our, our world is consumed with speeding up and what that does is it sets our hearts and our minds on high. Another symptom of this hurry sickness is the uh, the disease of multitasking. Now I've been a, a famous one for for bragging about how how good I am at multitasking, but all it really is is a symbol, or excuse me, a symptom of what's going on in my heart. They call that polyphasic activity. Don't you love that word? It's the urge to do more than one thing at a time. But no matter how good we are at it, it it divides our focus. And that divided focus doesn't allow us to have a full sense of satisfaction when it when a task is completed or again the the pleasure that that it that it was accomplished. 
we run around in our world as multitaskers asking the question, what's next? What's next? What's next? It's a symptom of a disease, the hurry disease. We have a lot of clutter in our lives. Physically, we seem to lack the ability to live simply. Uh, I was joking with a friend not too long ago that, that we all need a closet exorcist. We're, we're, like, we're like the guy in Luke 12 that, that said when he got more and more and more grain, he just keep building bigger and bigger barns. We, we keep building bigger and bigger closets and bigger and bigger garages and renting storage spaces. There's clutter in our lives, and it's a symptom of this hurry sickness, this fractured focus. And emotionally and sometimes psychologically, we have clutter. We, we have a lot of clutter in our lives because we resist uh, being able to say no to things. Remember in, in the account with Mary and Martha, when, when uh, Jesus is talking about uh, Martha, Martha, you're so consumed with many things or anxious about many things, he turned right around and contrasted that with Mary, who he says chose the better part. The better part often in our lives is to be able to say no. I'm sorry, I'm overbooked. I'm sorry, I need to put a priority on my relationship with the Lord. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I've committed that time to my family. Clutter, both physically and emotionally, is impacting our ability to live the life we've always wanted. Uh, one that came up in in uh, Ortberg's book that is interesting to me is the symptom of superficiality. We're, we're living shallow and more and more shallow lives. Um, mentally, uh, that shallowness is showing up in, in the sense that we've traded wisdom for, for information. We're skimming everything. We want more and more facts. It's like we're hollering out, give me the highlights, give me the headlines, let me watch a video, I don't want to read a paragraph. USA Today, uh, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when it first came out, whenever it was, was one of my favorite newspapers because you could get the, the whole gist of the day in just a page or two. But that superficiality, that shallowness, is causing a, 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 an eroding of our minds and our hearts. We're trading the ability to think and make wise choices for just the the accumulation of facts or information. We have a shallowness spiritually that's another symptom. We seem to want our, our, our spiritual maturity microwaved. We want it and we want it now. Um, we're unwilling to pay any kind of a price for the development of our character. And yet we all know that the good things of life take time. When we set out to, to have the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. James uh, understood that when he says in James chapter 1, you know, that you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete and lacking nothing. 
That's a process. The shallow approach to life that's a, that's a, a real symptom of this hurry sickness is, is, is in part a, 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 an indicator that we want our character developed like we want our hot water heated up in our microwave. We want it and we want it now. But that's not how it happens. Precept upon precept is the way we develop character. When the children of Israel were entering into the promised land and God was talking to them about the, the enemies in the land that had to be driven out, he made the comment there about they will go, they will go away, they will be driven out little by little. And that's how we build a, a, a life the life that we've always wanted. We abandon the superficiality approach and instead spend time watching God's Spirit develop His life in us. And the last uh, symptom that I wanted to mention is the symptom of impatience. Boy, if I had to put a star on all of these symptoms for my own life, this would be it. I am impatient by nature. And so it's no surprise to me that right there in 1 Corinthians 13, when God's giving the the essence and the qualities of love, the very first one that's mentioned is patience. I remember a little song that that uh, my goddaughter and I used to sing when she was little, and it, and it you know it was have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. Um, impatience is a symbol an indicator, a symptom of our hurried sickness. And the, and the injunction from the Lord, really, that's found in Psalm 27, verse 14, is wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Patience is required for the person that wants a life, a life that's worth living. So we talked about the disease, and we've talked about a bunch of the symptoms. I'm sure you found a few in there for yourself. Now we better talk about the cure. What do we do when we know that these things are true in our life? Well, the very first thing I want to talk about is the creation of margins. And again, I direct your attention to that book by Richard Swenson. But a margin, by definition, is some space that exists between us and our limits. In other words, we all have limits, but we ignore them. We run right over the top of them, and then we start functioning uh, from exhaustion. But a margin is the space that we put between ourselves and the absolute utter limit that might be. It might be a space of time, or a space of energy, or a space of spiritual insight. But it's the amount of, of time, or energy, or spiritual insight that is beyond what's absolutely necessary. And we often see God functioning in, in, the, in the margins, giving extra to people. Um, the one I thought about was Elijah in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. He's exhausted after his spiritual encounter uh, with uh, Jezebel. And, and when, he, when he goes away, it would have been enough just to get some sleep, and he would have been, you know, uh, re, refreshed and, and encouraged. But, but the account 
is the above and beyond. God gives him rest, yes, and he gives him food, yes, and he does it more than once, yes. And he doesn't call him back to his functions until there's been margins in his life. Now, we, we need a, a number of different kind of margins. We most definitely need time margins. We need to expect the unexpected. We can create a, a lot of space for ourselves just by adding some time margins to our, to our calendar, to our list of, of responsibilities. If we're, if we're required to be at work at 8 o'clock, if we want to we wanna embrace the cure for our hurried sickness, what we would do is we would target getting there 10 minutes early. And that allows us a little margin. That allows us a little space for a, for a traffic jam or a, a last-minute crisis with a kid or a, or a spilling of our coffee cup. When we have time margins, the intensity and, and, the, and the difficulty that comes from, from the demands of our everyday life are minimized because we've put some space in there. If we've got to be at church at 10 o'clock in the morning, we choose to, to, to target with a time margin of being there at 9.45. Now we have time to walk by and grab a cup of coffee. Now we have time to greet a friend. Now we have time to do some things that are important to us. We also need margins in our emotional life. We need to learn to laugh more and cry more, to be, to be liberal with our, with our gratitude, to say thank you more often, these are the things that create margins in our emotional life. If, if we don't laugh and we don't cry and we don't reach out to others and we don't tell the Lord thank you over and over and over again, we're, our, our world shrinks. We're living, we're living on the minimal instead of living on, on, the, on the excess that God wants to give us. We need to create some margins in our physical life as well. And, and that includes a very simple matter of getting enough sleep. We need to, we need to make certain that that seven, seven and a half hours is a, is a reality. And we can't say to ourselves, but I'm too busy. I've got children. I've got jobs. I've got this. We only have 24 hours every single day. And seven to eight of those hours need to be with a focus on creating some margins for our body. Paying attention to what we eat having some exercise, getting outdoors. These are all ways we create margins or part of the cure for our hurried sickness. And we also need to think about financial margins. We need to learn the difference between our wants and our needs. Most of the time when I open my uh, iPad up to Amazon uh, site, I am not uh, seeking something for my needs. I'm seeking something for my wants. We all need to learn to live on a budget. We need to save, and we need to give more. You know, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, I'm going to turn there, Matthew 6.33, there's a the great principle here to live essentially all of our lives by, but, but in particular, it applies even to, to financial margins. Uh, 6.33, the Bible says this, um, therefore, do not, uh, excuse me, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. 
learning to seek first his kingdom will set a, a mindset for our priorities and it will help us establish some of these financial margins. So the very first thing I mentioned as it relates to a cure was to, to identify and put some significant margins in our lives. It's not easy, but it's an important practical step towards conquering this sense of hurriedness that, that is uh, so rampant in our personal lives and in our society. The second thing I think we need to do to embrace a cure is to force ourselves to slow down and rest. And I do mean force. Um, we're going to have to take some time to, to, to encounter and, and have relationships. And that may take some very deliberate effort. Let me give you an example. Uh, depending on which study and which survey you look at, the average time that, that a, the husband or wife spends talking, meaningfully talking with their spouse, is less than four minutes a day. And depending, again, on which survey you look at, that, that interaction with our kids ranges from 37 seconds to maybe five minutes a day. We have to work on, we have to force ourselves to slow down and engage with those around us. Schedule it. If nowhere else, schedule it in your mind. Put it, put it down on a piece of paper. I am going to engage my spouse at this time for this many minutes. I'm going to listen. We're going to talk. We're going to share. It's a, it's a requirement for, for, for living the life that we've always wanted. We have to slow down. Silly little things like eating slower. My old uh, GP doctor uh, 30, 40 years ago was talking about helping his, his daughter with some uh, weight issues. And one of his suggestions to her was that as she took a bite, she had to put her fork back down on, her, on, her, on, her, on the table and chew everything that was in her mouth, and then she could pick the fork up again. Just eating slower is part of forcing ourselves to slow down. Driving in the, in, in the slow lane, or just pick a lane and stay in it. When I have a particularly stressful day, that is one of the, the spiritual disciplines that I force on myself, is to stay in a single lane. It allows me to relax and begin to rest. Things like parking far away from a, a store's door and then just enjoying the, the two minutes it takes you to walk uh, to that door. Look, the Lord knew that we were going to live in a fast-paced society, but that doesn't mean it has to sandpaper our very souls. Remember the injunction that he, that he gives, the rest he offers for the, for the weary in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That yoke that God's created is especially made for each and every one of us. The yokes for the animals were, were form-fitting. God didn't just junk things on us. They are things that are going to be helpful in our development. 
and we need to we need to in, embrace them and that's why I, I expressed uh the the second aspect of the cure as forcing ourselves to slow down make a list what do you need to do to slow down cuz that's part of the cure and the third one and i think it's practical is to find time for solitude we live in a in a culture that has uh, both activity and people everywhere and so we're being we're being asked to find time to spend by ourselves with ourselves and of course with the lord I, i'm intrigued by matthew chapter 14 uh, verse 13 and and at, at, at a very important busy moment in jesus's life the bible says when jesus heard what had happened he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He knew that pulling aside was part of the answer to the pressure on his soul. Solitude is the place every single day where we go and listen to ourselves and to the Spirit of God. So I'm suggesting that there would be two kinds of solitude. One is daily, every single day. Hopefully first thing in the morning, but if that doesn't work for you at another point in your day, when you come aside, when you withdraw privately to a solitary place and put your focus on your own thoughts and the input from the Holy Spirit that you gain, grab your Bible and get alone with God every single day. And then every now and then, choose to do that on a more prolonged basis. Uh, pull pull aside for a whole day. Uh, find a, a place where you can go and be alone for for several hours on end. Let that be a a uh, marker in your calendar uh, as often as you can, so that that solitude uh, feeds your soul. Ortberg says in his book that solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that otherwise relentlessly mold us. We break the mold when we come aside. We need to schedule time every single day and then every now and then in a, in a larger way. We cannot ignore it and we can't minimize its importance. We can't say, well, I'm too busy. Because if we're too busy, we're just leaning into that hurried sickness and we'll never get the life that we've always wanted. So that brings us to the so what section. I want to make the, the final thought, this one, that slowing down starts with a decision. You don't slide into it. If you're sliding into it, you'll never accomplish it. But slowing down starts with a, a line in the sand. These are the things that I'm going to do to allow God to speak to me in a more significant and, and meaningful way. And it's the decision then that is sustained by some of these disciplines. The disciplines of slowing down. The disciplines of creating margin. The disciplines of solitude. I ask a couple of three questions that for, for discussion's sake. But it also works as a personal evaluation. The first one was to list the top three hurry-up symptoms that affect uh, your life right now. And then, and then take the time to find some scripture that might help you overcome each one of those challenges. Uh, 
So if, if yours happens to be like mine, impatience, get into the book of Proverbs and look at all of the verses that talk about patience. Or if it's something else, do the same. Second question is, can you make the decision today to slow down? And then ask yourself the question, why or why not? Don't let an excuse get in the way of your having the life you've always wanted. And what obstacles are you anticipating that you're going to develop or see uh, as you move along towards these spiritual disciplines of slowing down? And then be practical about them. What are some of those obstacles? How, how difficult will it be to find solitude in your life? And figure out a way to work around it. And finally, are there others that, that you need to involve in this new way of living? Do you need to share this with your spouse and your children? Or on the other hand, is there someone that could help you, maybe hold you accountable as you, as you seek to develop this discipline? In any case, we need to find the anecdote for the hurry sickness and develop instead the spiritual discipline of slowing down. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you.